You make the lie. I hate to break it to you, but there is no big lie. There is no system. The universe is indifferent. We could leave right now. We could just walk away. Any step could be the first. Any word could be the last. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Welcome to the Urban Guru Cafe. everyone there are some people that just bang it's just spontaneous and there's no preliminary witnessing stage yeah yeah you reckon yes. you believe that do you well people say that I don't know. of course I the witnessing them. stage is a prerequisite not really why because the very description of it implies that there's a witness and then at some point it's recognized that that witness is just a story that's being told And when it all shuts down, you don't disappear. As Bob says, you pause a thought, you don't disappear. Yeah, but to say that everybody goes through those stages is not really Well, correct. nobody goes through it, but... Well, yeah, no, not even that. I'm not saying that nobody goes through it or anyone goes through it. No, obviously, there is no one to go through anything, but the manifestations, whatever you want to call them, that just spontaneously come to the scene without any preliminary witnessing. Often people will say that. Most of the people I've spoken to have said that, that witnessing is not necessarily something that have, people have to it's go through. It's all stories anyway. Well, of course it is. Yeah. What are we talking about? We're talking about non-duality. Mm. And for that one, there's no time, there's no process. Everybody is that. All the stories that people are telling are just an appearance. They're not the one essence that's seeing and knowing. Which is wordless. It doesn't need to explain it to anything. Or you anything. said it's not the oneness that's seeing and knowing. No, it's that one essence that's seeing and knowing. Yeah. The thing is that the seeing and the knowing is not in the pattern. The pattern appears in the seeing knowing. Yes, of course. And some people, sometimes that, that pattern of witnessing doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this week I spoke to Rupert Spira. I asked Rupert about his quote on his website, consciousness becomes apparently something, then nothing, then everything, and yet always remains the same. And at first he spoke about that thing we all understand, how we identify with the body and the mind. And so that is consciousness becoming apparently something. Mm -hmm. And he uses the word apparently, and like you said, yeah. it's... It's a legal clause. Yeah, and then it becomes nothing. And in that becoming nothing, it's when you're aware that you are consciousness only. It's no thing. This consciousness is no thing. And so that is the witnessing stage. So this position of the witness, it establishes the, the presence of consciousness, but it is, however, still a dualistic position. It's true that it establishes the presence of consciousness and the primacy of consciousness in our experience, but there is still this world, this mind, body and world, which is related in some way to consciousness. So we have to go further than saying that consciousness is just the witness of the mind, the body, and the world. We have to go further than simply saying consciousness is nothing. In other words, not a thing. We go back to our experience of the mind, the body, and the world and find that consciousness is their substance, not just their witness. So I'm not suggesting that it's necessary for everyone to trace their experience back in this way. It's just one way. Sometimes it can happen quite spontaneously, for instance, that 
it just becomes apparent that presence is the substance of all experience. It can seem to happen in many different ways. So I'm not suggesting this is the only way yep. at all. And so how was your experience? What, what was your experience, your actual story in this? My experience is, <laughs> is the experience I'm describing. Yeah. Because this is very familiar to me and because it is, it was and is my experience, I describe it in this way. So how was it that you came to question this idea that you were something, as in you were the body and you were the mind, because that was originally your thought. Most of us grow up that way. But So how was it that you came to question that you were this something, body and mind? From a very early age, during my teens, life was unsatisfactory. The answers and explanations and current view of my culture as to the nature of experience seemed very unsatisfactory. So I started exploring, reading, and I came across the traditional Advaita teachings in my late teens and, and studied and, and practiced and meditated for 20-odd years in a classical Advaita school. And then in my mid-30s, I met my teacher, Francis Lucille. I loved the classical Advaita teaching, but it always seemed one step away at one remove from myself. I could never truly make it my own. I had a deep intuition that what was being spoken was true, but I couldn't deeply connect with it. And it wasn't until I met my teacher and spent a lot of time with him exploring this that it became very clear that it became my own experience through exploring my experience in a similar way. I've just given you a very brief outline. Exploring two things, really. One is the deep belief that I had that what I am is an entity, is something located in time and space that what I was was an entity that was at the same time inside the body and that was the body. That was a, an exploration at the level of the mind. But, so but, how exactly did you do that when you talk about exploring it? Because I'm sure people would love to hear that. I would ask myself, what evidence do I have for the deep belief and more importantly the feeling that I have that what I am is located in a body? What I am, whatever that is, for instance, it is hearing these words it is seeing my sitting room and the landscape out of the window at the moment. It is whatever it is that I refer to as I is undoubtedly present and it is undoubtedly knowing or experiencing. So, for instance, it knows my thoughts. It knows now as we're talking, thoughts are appearing and these thoughts are seen or known or experienced by something. There are bodily sensations taking place at the moment, amorphous cluster of, of bodily sensations, these again are known or experienced. And likewise, there are changing world, changing perceptions taking place, the visual perception of this room and the landscape outside. So thoughts, sensations and perceptions, they're all appearing to me, they're all known by me. What about this me that knows them? It is my experience that I am present here knowing. But when I look towards this presence, when I try to find it, when I try to see what are you, what are you made out of, where are you, when I look towards it, a very strange thing happens. I don't even know which direction to look in. Any direction would be in the realm of objects. Any direction would be either a, in the direction of, a, of an idea or an image or a, a perception, a physical direction. But I have no idea, when I look towards it, I don't know where to look. Every direction seems to be the wrong direction. It always seems to be behind me, that's another way of saying it, that wherever I look, 
It's not there, it's behind me. And then when you turn around, it's behind you again. So I could never find this presence when I tried to find, for instance, any objective quality that it might have. For instance, that it might be of a particular shape or a particular size or a particular age or a particular color. All these qualities are known by it. But it itself doesn't have a color or a shape. So I would explore in my experience, I would try to find this presence that I knew myself to be, that I know myself to be, and I found nothing. So I had to come to the conclusion, based on just on my very simple experience, that what I am, although undoubtedly present and knowing or aware, couldn't be located anywhere in the realm of the mind, the body. So at an intellectual level, it became absolutely clear to me that what I am, although present and knowing, is not located cannot be found in the realm of the mind and the body. And this paved the way, as it were, for a much deeper exploration because I, I was then faced with a situation, okay, I know, I see clearly that I'm not located or limited. That is that I, consciousness, presence, mm -hmm. is undoubtedly present but unlimited. And yet, I still feel that I'm located. I still feel that I'm the body or that I'm in the body. So I had this what was really an intolerable situation. It was a, a deep contradiction. I had come to the intellectual conviction that I had no evidence for the belief that what I am is limited or located. And at the same time, I felt limited and located. I then started a much deeper exploration of the feelings. What is it that makes me feel that I am limited and located? So I would go into the experience of the body and explore the body and ask myself, to begin with, with my eyes closed, but later with my eyes open. I would close my eyes and ask myself, what is my actual experience of the body? And my experience with my eyes closed is of this, this amorphous, tingling mass of sensations in actual experience, it doesn't look anything like the body that I conceive of or that I perceive in the mirror. It's just a, an amorphous cluster of tingling vibration or sensation. And I would ask myself, what is it that makes me think and feel that I am this tingling cluster of vibrations? Do I find consciousness inside this tingling cluster of vibrations? Or is it that my experience that this tingling cluster of vibration that I call the body appears inside consciousness, inside myself? And it became very obvious that 
I've never experienced consciousness in the body. It's always been my experience that the body, this cluster of sensation, appears in consciousness. speaking it now, explaining it rationally, intellectually, but it was a very experiential exploration and it took time because there were all sorts of locations in the body that seemed to claim to be the residence of this I. It took place over a period of years really, exploring all the sensations that I thought were utterly, intimately myself. And I came to the very, very clear experiential understanding, not just the intellectual, the experiential understanding that the tiny little cluster, for instance, the little tingling sensation behind the eyes that seemed to be so absolutely me is actually no more me than the little tingling perception of vibrating blue that I can see that we call the sky. Both of them, tingling sensation behind the eyes, and the vibration of blue called the sky, both of them appear in the same place, in the same placeless place of consciousness. They both appear in me. And if I look at both these experiences and ask myself, what are they made out of? What is their substance? I find that they are both made out of the same thing, out of knowing or experiencing. This exploration, this this feeling exploration, not, it wasn't an intellectual exploration, it was an experiential exploration. It broke down gradually the apparent meanness of the body and the apparent not meanness of the world. It became clearer and clearer and clearer that everything that appears, the tingling vibration at the sole of my feet and the humming of the traffic outside, or the, the visual perception of the houses outside. They were all made out of the same stuff, experiencing or knowing. And that knowing itself was what I am, presence. And that knowing was what you referred to as that nothing? Not a thing, nothing in the sense of being not a thing, not an objective thing. It's only nothing from the point of view of the mind that knows objects. It's not a thing, that is not an object, but it's not nothing. It's truly presence, it's fullness. I say that because the formulation that it is nothing, is it, it has to be understood correctly. It's not a blank void. It's truly fullness, but from the point of view of the mind that knows objects, it is nothing in the sense that it has no objective qualities. It cannot be either conceived or perceived. It has no objective qualities. It is undeniably present. There is something, for instance, in this conversation, there is something present that is hearing these words, that is knowing these words. We cannot deny its presence. Even to deny its presence requires its presence. But if we look for that something, that knowing something, we don't find 
an object. We don't find anything that has objective qualities that we can point to, that we can say, it's this shape or it's located here. It has no objective qualities. Presence and knowing are its qualities. And so that is, it is no thing. And then what about moving to then it is everything? I came to this experiential understanding that what I am is not made out of any objective substance, not made out of a thought, a perception or a sensation. That became very clear. But then I was left with a problem, as it were. What about the world? This is still a position of duality. It's true. I no longer think that I, the subject, and this body, the world, the object. But nevertheless, I now think I, the subject, consciousness, is viewing the mind, the world, and the body. It is still a, a relationship between a subject, albeit consciousness, and an object, the mind, the body, and the world. Uh, so I wanted to explore very closely the relationship between myself, presence, and the appearances of the mind, the body, and the world. And as I went into my experience of the mind, the body, and the world, that is thinking, sensing, and perceiving, it became very, very clear to me that the only substance present in any experience is the substance of consciousness. So let me give you an example to show experientially how I came to this. For instance, if you take the current visual perception, whatever it is that we're looking at at the moment, I'm sitting in a room, books and furniture and sky and buildings and trees outside. It's a visual perception. And I would ask myself, what is this perception made of? What is this seen object made of? Its substance is made out of seeing. I would ask myself, do I have any experience of the seen world that is independent of seeing? Another way of asking that question would be to say, if I was to remove seeing from the current perception of the world, what would remain of that perception? And it became very clear, nothing at all. We have no evidence that there is a world outside of experience. There is no evidence of a visual world outside the seeing of it. I would then ask myself, okay, now, where does seeing take place? What is seeing made out of? Does seeing take place here, close to me? Or does it take place there at an infinite distance? from myself and it became completely clear that seeing was intimate, that seeing always takes place in the same place. The seeing of the cup on the table here takes place in the same place as the seeing of the sky over there. They're both made out of seeing. It's only the mind that splits up this experience and says the object called cup is close. The object called sky is far. They are both equally made out of seeing, and seeing takes place in the same place. And then I would go more deeply into it and, and say, well, what is this seeing made of? What is its relationship to consciousness? And I would go into the experience of seeing and realize there is no substance present there other than consciousness itself. And again, another way of asking that question would be to say, if I were to remove consciousness from seeing, what would remain of seeing? Absolutely nothing.
there is no other substance present in the experience of seeing other than consciousness. So that was just one line of exploration in relation to the visual world. I, I would do it with hearing and touching and tasting and smelling and, and all, all my experience in some ways reduce what seems to be a physical object to experiencing or to, to seeing or hearing and then take seeing and hearing and realize that its only substance is my self-presence. So this was a very experiential exploration of the mind, the body, and the world. I had deeply opened myself to the possibility that the mind, the body, and the world were not made out of something other than myself, that they were not made out of matter or mind. But in order to make that possibility my actual experience, it required a deeper exploration than simply the rational intellectual investigation, and it required something more than the intellectual understanding of Advaita. You talked about how you were involved in 20 years of seeking in this, but mainly in the traditional vein. Yes. And then you came to a new teacher who talked about this in a very different way, obviously. And so what do you think are the shortfalls of the traditional way or can people come to see clearly what it is that they are through this traditional mode? I can only speak from my own experience and I wouldn't like to presume that this is the case for anyone else. But in my experience, and I know it's true for others that I've spoken to, the traditional Advaita teaching was for most people packaged in an Indian form, Indian language and it came in the packaging of an Indian culture. So those of us that aren't Indian, the language itself, the packaging itself was somehow exotic and inaccessible. And that, for many people, certainly for myself, it kept the teaching inaccessible. It kept it at a distance. It wasn't until I received, heard about this exploration of experience, heard about this understanding in everyday English terms, in ordinary everyday language, that the barrier that the Indian cultural packaging had presented truly dropped away. It was no longer strange, exotic, using strange language that needed to be understood. It was just simple, everyday language that could relate directly to my experience. to part one of an interview with Rupert Spira. The Urban Guru Cafe is produced in Australia.